Well, I'll let you guys in on a little secret. I've been in ministry, full-time ministry for two years. And I'll, I'll be honest, I never drank coffee until I went into full-time ministry. And I joke with people and say I started drinking once I got into ministry, you know, but it was this coffee. I never drank coffee before, and I just kind of acquired this taste for it. And my husband, I went to work in April for the church, and Mother's Day was in May, and he bought me a Keurig. Does anybody in here have a Keurig? I tell you what, they should call it a crackig. It is amazing. And so I would experiment with all these different K-cups, you know, and we have one in the staff lobby room because we, you know, that's a perk. You're in full-time ministry. We'll give you all the caffeine you need. Keep going, keep going, keep going. <clears throat> and then I discovered something called a gold label Starbucks K-cup caramel. Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, they want like $12 a box for it. And just like, I guess, on the street, the first one's free, but then you got to pay after that. And that's how they get you. And so I started drinking the gold label K-Cup Starbucks caramel. And it's like... I can smell it brewing. I'm just like, I savor it. Well, now it's ruined me. I can't go back to Green Mountain Company. There is no going back. I cannot do private selection. What? Kroger brand? No, no. This is the United States of America. We use two plaid toilet paper and Starbucks K-Cups. That's how it works. But I just got this, like, flavor, like, I love it, and I have to have it with hazelnut creamer, guys. International delight. And I got tired of pulling the tabs off those little cups. I like, I like a two inches. I got to pour it. You know what I'm saying? My husband's like, Sarah, the kids are out of milk. I'm like, give them the creamer. I've got, like, four creamers, you know. <laughs> Your Fruit Loops will taste fine. There's a cow behind it somewhere, honey. But I just like acquired this taste. Is anybody like that? Like you know when you go to a restaurant and it's a bad cup of coffee, you're like, just bring me a glass of water. You can't do it, you know? Or like when you go to the McDonald's, I want three creams and two sugars. Like you just know how you like your coffee. And if it doesn't taste right, you're like, meh, no thanks. Well, that's me. Keurig and K-Cups, Starbucks caramel gold label K-Cups have ruined me. And I was thinking about that this morning. I'm thinking about where we're going to jump in into 1 John. I was reminded of a scripture. It's in 2 Corinthians 11:4, and Paul's writing to the church. And he says, if anyone comes to you with a gospel other than what we've preached, if they preach another Jesus other than we've preached, you may put up with it. And he was worried about the church, that they were going to take another gospel or, or identify with a Jesus other than the Jesus he preached. And I thought, that's just like my K-cup. If you come to me with any K-cup other than a Starbucks caramel gold label, I may put up with it. And I thought, in my walk, in our walk, the, the heart behind why Celebration Church, we're spending Wednesday nights together just kind of going through the New Testament one book at a time, one chapter at a time, one verse at a time, is that we don't want you to put up with anything other than pure gospel. We don't want you to put up with anything other than the cross of Jesus Christ and the spirit that we receive from him. You're worth too much to accept counterfeit. 
And that's the heart behind this message and the heart behind why we're, we're walking through 1 John together. So with that being said, I will say that I, I realized after Pastor Frankie wasn't going to make it in that 1 John is one of those books that you really have to engage your brain on. You know, 1 John is one of, it's foundational and it's pure and it's very simple in its message, but you still have to think about it. You know, I told you guys last week a little bit about my background, how my roots are from charismatic and Pentecostal holiness to a Baptist college to marrying a Methodist man. You guys remember that. And in the circles that I've traveled in, I've met the frozen chosen that have it all in their head. And they know it backwards and forwards and never missed a Sunday school message. And then I've met the charismaniacs <laughs> who fly by the seat of their pants and it's all based on emotion and what they feel and they don't have any of the word in their head. And I feel like, you know, we've got we've to close the six-inch gap between our heads and our hearts. You know, I love that when Jesus said, when he talked about the laws of the prophets, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a lot of times I feel like as believers we forget to engage our mind. And so tonight I want to engage your mind tonight. I want to train our brains to be able to receive the incorruptible word of God. So that when we, when we hide that in our hearts, we know that the Holy Spirit's job is to teach us all things and to bring all things to our remembrance. But we've got to have something up here for him to be able to prompt tune to our memory and to revive in our hearts. And so I want to engage your brain a little bit tonight. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Sarah, look, it's Wednesday. I just survived Tropical Storm Bill. You would not believe the pine tags in my yard. It was fierce. I had a lawn chair tip over. It was terrible, you know? So I know some of you are, ooh, thank you, Lord. Tropical Storm Bill right here on the stage. I don't know what that was. But I don't want to. I don't want to overtax tonight. But so we're going to play a little game. And the first game, it's kind of like Family Feud. You guys have played that before. And he goes, "Survey says." So we're going to kind of get up a little bit of an introduction to First John. So here's the first question. I bet you guys already know this. You look like a sharp bunch. Let's see here. Who wrote? Who do you guys think wrote First, Second, and Third John? Ooh, you guys are like on fire survey says apostle john good job guys nice now here's a little bit more information about john because i want you to get your money's worth we're here to deliver john guess who his dad was it was zebedee zebedee remember james and john were brothers they were the sons of zebedee the sons of thunder oh this was interesting to me i never knew this but john's mom was uh her name i don't know if i'm pronouncing it right salome she was the sister of Jesus' mother, Mary. So Jesus and John were cousins. And we, I gave the scripture verses there if you want to write those down in your fancy new notebook. That was a discovery for me. I was like, how about that? I had no idea that's who James's mother was. Then we also know that James had a brother, Jay, or John had a brother in James. And then uh, John was the disciple that Jesus commended his mother to at the cross. When he said, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother, he entrusted Mary to John after the crucifixion. And this was really neat. I love the way uh, Paul writes. He said there were three pillars in the church. He said Peter, James, and John. And so John is a central figure in the church, the beloved disciple. He is, his books are foundational to our identity in Jesus Christ, and his message is so pure. So that's the book we're going to open up tonight and study. 
and have a good time with. So if you've got your Bibles, let's jump into it. It's 1 John chapter 1. And I'm going to read here from the New King James Version. And if you don't have your Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to have it up on the screens for you. But I'm going to read the first four verses. And it says here, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Underline the word of life. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. The life that was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which you have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write that your joy may be full. So John is writing this letter to the church and the first, I've got two points tonight because the only thing better than a good sermon is a short sermon. Can I get an amen to that? I tell you, you can thank United Airlines for that. So, but my first point tonight, if you're taking notes and the first section we're going to kind of dissect is the word of life, the word of life. I was looking at this and I thought, you know, Lord, why, um, help me understand, Holy Spirit, help me understand, why is Jesus referred to as the Word? You know, when we read in, in John, because John not only wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, but he wrote the Gospel of John, these are very famous verses. You've probably heard them a hundred times. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And it goes on and it says, In him was the life, the life that was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So I'm like, Lord, why, why is Jesus referred to as the Word? You know, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Later in that first chapter of John, it says the Word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And then John here in 1 John is saying he was the Word of life. And I'm like, Lord, what, why is Jesus referred to as a word? And I'll, I want to submit something to you that a word is a tool that we use to communicate something. Have you guys ever played with sh charades, you know, when you can't afford to go to a movie and so you decide to entertain yourselves at home? Okay, just Sarah and Todd. We're the only poor people here, right? So when you're playing charades, you sit there and you have to act out the word that you're trying to do. Well, my kids can't help themselves. They always blurt something out, you know, because they're like, what am I doing right now, guys? Come on, we're playing charades. Thank you. My kids can't, they don't have the patience. They're like, innocent, innocent, you know what I mean? Or, you know, they do something else, you know, look like an ape or whatever. And so we, our words, it's much easier for us to communicate with each other when we just use a spoken word with each other rather than acting something out. Well, God, from the dawn of time, has been communicating with his people his heart through his prophets, through signs and wonders, through manifestations of himself, through the Ten Commandments, a cloud, a pillar of fire. And finally, Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus becomes this pure expression of who God is. Just like if you and I went from playing charades where you're trying to figure out what I'm trying to communicate, but then we start talking to each other like I am talking to you and you're like I've got every single word that is Jesus 
Jesus takes God and puts on flesh and blood and becomes something we can touch, something we can see, something we can hold, something we can hear, and all of a sudden, God is real to us. That is why he is the word. He is the word because he is the purest expression of God, because he is God, because he was with God. He was at the beginning, and he will always be. That's exciting to me. So John says, I, you've got to catch this first. He's writing this beautiful letter to his church. And the first four verses of 1 John 1 are one sentence in Greek. He's like, I've got to get this all out in the first breath. I got it. This is so important. That which was from the beginning, not just the beginning of when he showed up on the earth, but from the beginning like in Genesis. That which was from the beginning, which we heard. I heard him speak. That which we have seen with our own eyes. I saw him feed 5,000 people. That which we looked upon. I saw the cross. That which our hands have handled. I touched the grave clothes concerning the word of life. That's what John is trying to get out in that first breath. And so then I'm like, okay, that's what the word is. The expression where we go from this charade game to know now we know the character of our God. We know the depth of his love. We know who he is. You know, my kids love playing this game where they learn new words. And my son got fixated on the word gargantuan. Because you like play the little game and you line it up. And he thought he'd won a million dollars gargantuan mom that splash gargantuan I'm like you're right son mom my stomach's so full gargantuan <laughs> mom that dress makes you I said you better not say it <laughs> stop right here son you're gonna learn another word <laughs> so my kid I mean because words are power you know my kid hasn't, my children, when they were very little, we took them to like the state fair or something and they had the porta potties. We all know what the porta potties are. Well, for some reason, they got it in their head that I said pork a potty, like <coughs> pork a potty. <laughs> now, every time we pass a construction site, we go to some other craft festival, they go, Mom, I'm Mom, I got to use the pork a potty to go for it, baby. You know what I mean? I'm not going to correct them. I'll let somebody at college tell them that. It's sweet. <laughs> but that's the power of words. That's how words are what we use to express ourselves with. And that's the power of Jesus. He is the word because he expresses the truest nature of who God is. You know, so we know that God is, is the word. And then I said, well, why are you the word of life? Why are you the word of life? And John keeps writing, and it says, The eternal life that was which the, with the Father was manifested to us. Now, manifested is one of those words that we don't use in everyday conversation. I had to kind of look it up a little bit. But manifested is made obvious. It was made plain. It was clearly apparent. It was physically present among us. So what John is trying to say is the word showed up, God showed up, and then he made it perfectly obvious to us how to have eternal life. He made it perfectly apparent to us what was the life he came to give us. That is why John says the word of life is among us. You know, John is trying to make sure that we know that Jesus was not just some other God. 
that there was the Old Testament God and then Jesus showed up and he did some miracles and he died on the cross. John wants to make sure that you and I know that Jesus and God are the same. That Jesus showed up as a representation of the eternal God and he came to the earth with eternity in his body, in his body, and his flesh. And he's like fully human and fully divine in God at the same point. And John's like, I don't want you to err, children. I don't want someone to tell you that Jesus was just a good teacher who did some amazing things. I don't want someone to tell you that, that, that God and Jesus are not on the same team. I want you to know they were one in the same and that when you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God sounds like, listen to Jesus' words. The word of life appeared to us. And that's John's first four verses summed up in two simple sentences. Jesus is the word of life, and he has made eternity plainly obvious to us. So we read on a little more, and I sat there and I was like, well, Lord, how I was thinking about in the gospel of John in John 17, 3, is it okay if I just read straight from the Bible tonight? Is that cool with everybody? I've got my little post-it notes here in case my fingers fail me. But in John 17, 3, Jesus is praying to God, and he's praying for you and I, because he's praying for the disciples. This is before Gethsemane. This is before the, the cross that he's going to endure. He's praying to God, and it says in John 17, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. Listen to this. As you, God, have given him, Jesus, authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this, etern this is eternal life. What is eternal life? Jesus is going to answer it right now. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, God, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. People are like, well, what is eternal life? What is the definition of being saved? How can I know that I'm going to heaven? What makes your God and, and, and what your walk is different than all the other walks that are out there and available to me at Google? Christianity for dummies. It's right here. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, God, the one true God, and the Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know, at the end of the day, Ecclesiastes 3.11, Solomon writes, he says, that God has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity in men's hearts. He has put eternity in men's hearts. And he, I'm sitting there, and I'm reconciling what Jesus said. This is how you have eternal life. And John and First John is saying the eternal life, the word of life, was manifest to us. And it all comes together to say Jesus put eternity in our hearts and made it plainly obvious to us how we can have it and walk in it and not accept any other substitute other than the purest, holiest love that he has for us. You know, John, and he wraps up in this verse 3 and 4, he says, I have known him, I have touched him, I knew him when he walked on the earth. That's what he all just said. And then verse 3 and 4, he says, I want your joy to be complete. I want you to know the fellowship I have known. This is what he's saying. Yeah, I walked with Jesus when he was on the earth, and I haven't stopped. He ascended into heaven, and our fellowship grew closer, not different. I was like, what? 
The man who walked with Jesus, who was the beloved disciple, laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, who Jesus trusted with his mother. He says, oh yeah, Jesus and I were tight. John was at the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James. Jesus invited John, Peter, and James up to that room to see Jairus' daughter healed. John was in the inner circle of the inner circle. And he said, I was tight with Jesus when he was on the earth. And I'm here to tell you, I'm tight with him now that he's in heaven. And you can have the same fellowship I had. And if you would, if you would know him like I know him, our joy would be complete. Wow. You know, I was thinking about that. I was like, Lord, I love that John is happy for us that we could know Jesus like he knows it. I know whenever you're not happy for someone, when something good happens to them, has anyone ever done that? Like, oh, I'm so glad you got a promotion. I should have got a promotion. <laughs> Does that happen to anybody? Just me. Okay. Or, oh, that's a new car. That's a nice new car. I could use a new car. You know? I like working for the Lord. That's what I like. You know? <laughs> I'm being funny. But when you have a hard time, being excited for someone with, if you have a hard time rejoicing with them in their blessing, in their favor, it typically means that you don't think God will bless you or that you're getting what you deserve. That's why you hold it back. Because you can't, it's hard for you to rejoice with them because in the back of your mind, there's a little bit of your heart that's going, where's mine? And that's hard. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love does not seek it its own way. And John is sitting here. He's like, I, our joy would be so complete if you could know Jesus like I know Jesus. You know, when Todd and I were found out we were expecting our second child, I honestly wondered, how am I going to love another child as much as I love this child, my first child? How many parents you have more than one child? Didn't, did, was that something you asked yourself? Because, I mean, like leaving it at the hospital is not an option. You know, you're like, this one's coming home with us too. You know, second born. I was first born. I never had that kind of identity crisis. I always knew I was the favorite. But I didn't want that. <laughs> I didn't want that for my, other, my children, you know. But no, I was like, honestly, I said, Todd, I can't imagine loving a child as much or more than I love Avery. And Todd said, Sarah, thousands of women do it every day. We will get through this together. And sure enough, go to the hospital, have this baby, and they hand you this baby, and it's amazing what happens. And parents, if you have more than one kid, you know what I'm talking about. Because all of a sudden, your heart grows. So it's not that every kid gets a third, a third, and a third of your love. Oh, we got four kids now. It's a quarter, a quarter, and a quarter apiece. <laughs> oh, bad news. Mama's going to have another baby. You're down to 15%, children. That's not how it works. God doesn't keep slicing up the same pie because love doesn't divide. Love multiplies. Our joy is complete our fellowship, and we rejoice in one another and what we have, and we urge each other on to know Jesus more because our hearts grow for each other. And John's like, our joy will be complete if you know him like I know him.
like you know the word of life, like I know the word of life. Amen. So the word of life, number one. Number two, second point, the word of truth. John is writing because he needs to express to the church the word of truth. When uh, John's gospel was written, as I was studying and reading, this was really interesting to me. There's a, a, a great tools out there, Bible study tools, and um, I would really encourage you just to become a student of the word of God. You know, just don't rely on that Sunday morning, Wednesday night. I want you to come and be a part of that, but really become a student. You know, study to show yourself approved and, and look for those kind of the same way you approached you know, your academics in high school or whatnot, approach the word of God like that. And I promise you, God will meet you stride for stride. He will meet you stride for stride. And you will, it's, studying is a little bit like going on a diet. It takes time to see results. And where I get disappointed is where I pass on the Twinkies and I step on the scale and I don't see any difference. So I just go back to eating Twinkies, you know? Well, studying is like that. I remember I was in high school and I was learning geometry. And you first thing before you, you do any type of geometric problems, they have you memorize all these proofs and theorems and axioms. Anybody here even remember geometry in high school? I don't either. I had to Google. I had today. I was like, yeah, what is that? But then when you go to prove something, you write out this formula for it. Well, studying the Word of God is a little bit like that. You feel like you're just acquiring a lot of knowledge. You're like, well, Lord, that's an interesting story. Or, wow, I didn't know that was in your Word. But then all of a sudden, a situation will come up in life. And you will find an application for that knowledge. And that is what wisdom is. You know, a smart person and a wise person know the same things. But a smart person doesn't know how to apply that knowledge. A wise person does. And so when you and I will sort of approach the word of God like students, we'll go from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge and we'll walk in wisdom. So Paul, or excuse me, John is writing to the church and the, the first, second, and third John were written about 90 AD. So we actually, I have a list of the gospels because I thought this was interesting. I thought I'd share it with you guys. James was the first book in the New Testament written, 50 A.D. So we know Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus was on the cross about 30, 33, 35 A.D. And so this kind of tells you the succession of the books of the Bible when they were written, as best that we can determine, you know. And I thought it was interesting that the beloved disciple, the disciple who was in the inner circle, was the last to write his gospel. And his letters to the church were some of the last and that was really, and actually, um, Revelation isn't on there, but Revelation was written about the same time as the epistles, around 95 AD. So I'm like, Lord, why, how is it that this grandfather, this pillar in the church, saves his gospel for the last one? Like, how did the Holy Spirit urge him to write? How did, how did that, you know, come about? And at the time, John is writing to the church because he's hearing that there's some falsehoods that have come in. There are false claims. And John is sitting there and he's like, look, I have to get this straight with you all. This, this gospel, this is not the Jesus I walked with. 
This is not the gospel I was taught on, on the Mount of Olives. This is not what I saw and I heard and I bore witness to. Let me make sure that you get the purest form of the gospel as I heard it from the Messiah himself. Because I want to make sure that you don't settle, like I shared with you at the beginning, with the curing cups. I don't want you to fall for it. I don't want you to have to settle for anything other than what is true. And so John spends the next four verses of 1 John 1 knocking down these inerrancies that have come into the church. As I share with you what, what the inerrancies were back in 80 or 90 AD, I want you to hear and, and sound like or, or ask yourself if it sounds like something we're dealing with today. Because I'll, I'll give you something. The enemy isn't very creative, but he's awfully persistent. <laughs> and he was trying to sow inerrancy into the church when the disciples were still walking on the planet. And John's like, no, no, no. I'm not going to stand for this. Children, little children, hear me say this. Hear my words. Let me make sure that you have the truth, the word of truth in your lives. Well, the first inerrancy... And the first false claim that John is dealing with in the church is that there were leaders who, had a, who claimed to have a relationship with God, but they continued to practice and promote immorality. They had a claim to have this relationship with God, to be a spokesman for God, to be a teacher for God, and yet they practiced and promoted immorality in their own lives and in the lives of their followers. And John says, well, let me knock that one down first. And he does it in verse 5. He said, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. So this is the gospel that I am going to share with you that came straight from Jesus Christ. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So John says, let me tell you right now, people will come to you and they will try to sound like Jesus. People will come to you and they will try to peddle you a gospel that maybe has a form of godliness but denies its power. People will try to tell you that they are a spokesman for God and they practice and promote immorality. And I am here to tell you that God is light and in him is no darkness. And if you walk in darkness... You have no fellowship with him. I sort of see it like as a bowling pin standing up, and John's like, okay, now let me address the second one. Some among you have said this. Now this is the second heresy, or the second errancy. The heretics of the time, or the teachers of the time, were denying the sinful nature of man. They were basically saying at their heart, I'm a good person. They were basically telling the church, you don't need a savior per se because at the heart of who you are, you are a good person. And John says, well, let me take care of that. Let me just settle that right now. And in verse 8, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's not a person who's walked on this planet aside from Jesus Christ himself who does not need a savior. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if anyone tells you that there's any way to eternal life other than at, under the blood of Jesus Christ, he is presenting a gospel that's not the one I gave you. 
You know, I was listening to a pastor talk, and he said that if you are going to have a successful Christian walk, you are going to have to learn to submit yourself to authority because it is at the very... Submitting yourself to authority is at the very root of who we are as believers because all of us wake up one day and realize we are sinful, that we cannot do anything to get the blood off our hands, and we bow our knee at the cross of Jesus Christ and submit ourselves to his lordship and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness, I need you to be my righteousness, and I need you to help me walk from here on out. And where what you say is what I'll do. That's how the Christian walk starts for everybody. Whether you're Billy Graham or you just got saved two and a half minutes ago. It all starts with a bended knee at the cross. And if you're a believer and you struggle with submission, then it will cap as where God can take you in your walk. Because it doesn't matter who we are, we all are going to have to learn authority because it starts at the cross of Jesus Christ. And I think that's where the church struggles a little bit because we want a way other than the bended knee. You know, we want a way other than a complete denial of self. We want a way other than the turn and leave it at the cross and walk and sin no more. And John's like, look, if anybody tells you that you haven't sinned, that there's no need for repentance, that there's another way, I'm telling you right now, they're lying. They're lying to you. There's no other way. And he takes that second one, he goes. And the third false claim that John is dealing with the teachers were out there and, and promulgating in the early church that your actions did not have eternal consequences. In other words, God's got bigger things to worry about than what you do. And John's like, let me, let me settle that. He says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You jump down to chapter 2 because it's kind of a continuation of this thought. He says, my little children, like a grandfather, like rooting for his children. He's like, my little children, I write you these things so that you may not sin. But listen to this. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father in Christ Jesus, the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the whole world's. Your actions matter to God, so much so that you were the reason he was willing to die. You were the reason he's willing to advocate for you every single day. And you are the reason that he rose from the grave and lives today for your actions have consequences. He cares what you do because you were the only thing he was ever willing to die for, come alive for, advocate for. And he goes on to say, I not only have enough blood to cover your sins, I have enough blood to cover the entire world's sins. I could blot out everything on this planet. If you would bend that knee and submit to me, I'd do it right now. Uh, if you confess your sins, I'll be faithful I'll be just, I'll forgive you your sins, and I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. John's like, children, my little children, I write you this so that you won't sin. I write you this so that you won't receive any gospel other than what I brought. 
I write you this because I don't want you to fall for anything other than the Jesus that I walked with, that I talked with, that I touched, that I beheld, that I presented to you, that was the word of life manifest. There's this great song out there by Lauren Daigle, and it's called um, How Can It Be? And I, you may have heard it on the radio. I've been enjoying it in the radio. And when I was reading this message in 1 John, I felt like she was singing 1 John 1 in this song. And so I want you to kind of hear it and enjoy it, the video we have, and then I'll be back up here to close. Take a look at this.
that song. I love the message of that song. It is the purest form of the gospel. You know, when that was playing, I was thinking about when Avery and Owen were really little, we were in Kentucky, in Kentucky, and we were at a um, pottery shop because they're very famous for their, for their clay soil and they're very famous for their pottery. And Avery was reaching for something on a shelf and she pulled a bowl down and it shattered. And she was just devastated because as a five-year-old, she doesn't have a lot of cash. And so her eyes were huge and she started just crying. She was overwhelmed at what she had done and she didn't see a way out. And I came behind her and I said, Avery, sweetie, it's all right. Accidents happen. Mommy and Daddy are going to pay for this bowl. You don't have to carry this debt around. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about this guilt. Mommy and Daddy are going to make sure that the bowl gets paid for. You just be careful. Don't reach as high. Ask me for help next time. And that song is playing. I'm sitting there and it goes, you plead my cause. You make me free. You make me clean. You advocate for me. You pay my debt when I'm overwhelmed and I don't know how I'm going to fix what's broken. God is willing and the person of who Jesus is wants to meet you in this altar and say, I will fix this. I've already paid for it. The shop owner, don't be afraid of the shop owner. I've taken care of you before you've even fallen. My blood will cover anything that you've ever done. I'm willing to make it whole today. I'm willing to make it right today. Just come to me. Just come to me and ask, and I'll take care of it. Had Avery just run out of the store, I wouldn't have even known that she needed my help. I wouldn't have even known I could reach in and take care of it for her. But because she came and got me, I was able to make it right. Make it right for Avery and make it right for the shop owner. If you are in a place where something is broken in your life, don't run out of the store. Come to this altar and let your father make it right. Let him settle your debts. Let him settle your accounts. Let him give you a clean conscience and a pure heart. He wants to do it. He's willing to do it. He's eager to do it. It's the reason he came on the earth and put on flesh. It was because he's like enough of these charades. You are going to see the purest expression of who I am through the blood of Jesus Christ. I am in the reconciliation business, and that's what he wants to do for you tonight.